0: Welcome back to Exa Cinema Club, a very different episode, really, from the other ones, because this is, well, for one, first of many Nick Cage episodes, I'm sure. Um, and it's also probably the most divided me and a co-host have been on a movie so far. Um, so it'll be interesting to get through that. But first, and most importantly, I am with the lovely Asker again, to talk about Sien Sono's Prisoners of the Ghostland. Hello. Yeah, do you want to introduce this movie in however you see fit? <laughs> mm.
1: Yeah. I, I mean I think the like the obvious appeal of this film, right? Like how it's marketed is Sion Sono meets Nicolas Cage. It's mm-hmm. uh, um Cion Sono one being one of the probably more popular or like at least internationally well known um, contemporary filmmakers in Japan. Right like mm-hmm, for sure probably around the same level as Takashi Mike. yes uh, at least in my brain those two share like a, a similar space. Oh 100. Yeah. yeah.
0: Sono feels like the more postmodern Takeshi Miike, yeah yeah I think they share a lot of a lot of the faults of one can be in some way attributed to the other um but they both have like at least distinct differences like
1: M-Mike
0: is a lot more like just immediately vulgar sono, as like I said a bit more postmodern.
1: I, I I wanted to get into this later, but I think this is a good point because uh, uh-huh. why I think Sono fits. Uh, I'm I'm su- why I'm partially surprised that you don't like Prisoners of the Ghostland or Zono in general, even though I fully understand. Um, I feel like both Miki and Sono are very excess and very eccentric and very like, uh-huh. right, exactly the kind of film that would fit for like you know what you want to talk about on this podcast. The difference. Uh-huh. Is that Mike is like big explosions excess? Like, uh-huh. like both both are psychopaths. But Mike yes. is like big explosions psychopath. And Sono is lures you into back alley and stabs you, psychopath.
0: For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Again, we'll get more into this, but like mm. whenever I every time I sit down, I say this in my review on Letterboxd for this movie, every time I sit down with a Sonic movie, I'm always like, okay, maybe this one will be the one where, like, it clicks. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this Sonic guy fucking whips. <laughs> but there's always just something. I'm always just, mm. like, never able to connect with it in the way I want to. And, like, this happens, for the record, this happens with Mikae a lot. I think Mikae is a very weird director. I think the movies that work best for him are, like, when he's like, going out there with concepts. Mm. Like, or is just indulging 100% in, like, just pure vulgarity. Like, Mm. I think something like Ichi the Killer is a repulsive movie on, like, so many grounds, but it is, like, 100% a Miki movie.
1: Mm.
0: But yes, uh, as I said, I guess we should introduce the movie we're talking about today.
1: Uh, Yeah, so Prisoners of the Ghostland is, again, uh, the first production. of like, both Japanese and English. Um, it's about, like, this post-apocalyptic society. Uh, you can imagine it very much like Mad Max, which is also probably one of the major influences on the film, in which we follow the protagonist, Nicolas Cage, uh, or simply called Hero in this, um, who's a bank robber, and he gets caught during a, a robbery, and uh, he then gets um, gets hired by this uh, this, like, the governor, he is called, <laughs> played by Bill Mosley. Um, who's he's he's he looks like he's out of a, a Tarantino film, yes, right? 100%. Like, like he fits perfectly into something like um Django Unchained or uh, what's it called, Inglorious Bastards. Uh-huh. Um, so he's hired to find his adopted granddaughter who according to the governor, went out joyriding with her friends and didn't return because she went into the ghost lands, which is like this, you know, very post-apocalyptic place, um, which is, you know, and there's like ghosts that keep you from going there. Woo, spooky. <laughs> so, yeah, we we just follow... It's Technically, it's a really simple film because we just follow Nick Cage on his search for uh, Bernice, she's called... Uh, played by Sofia Boutella. And he finds her really quickly, and then it devolves into (laughs) more chaos. Uh, I think the main themes, there's like two main themes in this film. One is redemption and like running away from your uh, problems and responsibilities. And then like, you know, later being forgiven for what you did. And, And the other one is abuse and gaslighting right mm-hmm. because we quickly learned that uh, the governor is he's basically just an abusive pimp to be honest yeah um so and everyone's just kind of being led to you know we have this like very broken society in there um i think that's just you know the introduction to the movie i don't actually know how to talk about it better in that way yeah no i think that sums it up that's that's the movie
0: uh, yeah. This is this is an odd movie because, as you said, it's very simple. It's not a complicated movie. Um, but it's like a lot of embellishments,
1: I guess. <laughs>
0: on on such a simple story.
1: Yeah. In in one of the interviews I read with Sono about this film, he did say that the film was so simple that he like basically just put on excessive stuff to make uh-huh. it more interesting. Right. So so it is indeed like. Yeah, this film is just very simple. So, why not mash in more stuff? Because we have like Western and samurai aesthetic, right? We have that post apocalyptic Mad Max kind of stuff. Um, we have like references to Hiroshima and Fukushima, and you know, just a lot of stuff.
0: Yes. I think, I like, the the, like, response to this film, the critical reception of this film is quite strange, and I guess it's just, like, maybe from an audience that doesn't watch a lot of, like, kind of postmodern Japanese movies, which is very fair, like, that's a very niche Mm. interest, but, like, there is a lot of, like, the response to this movie being, like, damn, this is the craziest Nick Cage movie (sighs) ever, dude, like, and it's, like, not that absurd, like, Nick Cage, like, has some Nick Cageisms in this for sure, Mm. but, like, Nikkei just been in weirder movies and like, like I I feel like people just saw oh yeah, he gets bombs attached to his nuts and that's, <laughs> uh, that's it, and there's like Japanese people speaking English funny like, that's, that's like <laughs> the, the long and short of why people probably consider this such a weird movie, but like it is very strange seeing that reception to it
1: Yeah, I, I mean I know that the Reception to it is also that the Sion Sono fans don't like this film very much either.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, because I think I think it's definitely like, you know, there's this concept of weird Japan, which is just like this exoticism. Like, right, Japan is the country where you can wear used underwear, uh, where you can buy used underwear in vending machines. Right. Yes. Like this whole idea that like the entirety of Japan exists like i mean the fact that you can buy used underwear and vending machines is kind of fucked up of course but Uh it's like you know it's not like it's not like everyone in japan does that yeah but there's this weird japan which is also just coincides with like how overacted a lot of its media both anime and film are right like it's always very eccentric which just dates back to um to like theater oh yeah in japan and, I mean, we obviously have different films and stuff, right? You just have to look at one of the more well-known Japanese filmmakers in history, Yasujiro Ozu, who yeah. doesn't overact at all.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah like, like, yeah. No, that's totally true. Like, I guess it just also comes from, like, American, how American cinema developed. Mm, um, yeah. and, and, like, the types of films that were popular in America or, like... A lot of kind of more focus on the gritty or like the kind of um, more more quietly dramatic, whereas Japanese cinema, from what I know, like I you know like developed from like rakugo and and that type of thing, mm. big expressive yeah. um, uh, narratives and like that obviously coloured its its film for you know however many years it's been.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. And like I think, especially if you also compare to other Sono films, uh, like for you know the, the two of the more popular ones, which I have also seen, which I can talk about, are Love Exposure, which which is an insane film. Have you Have uh-huh. you seen Love Exposure?
0: I have no idea It's four hours or however long it yeah. is. It's one of those movies that's like, hey, if I like this director like significantly, I would surely sit down and watch a four hour movie. But like. For someone, I'm like, eh, this guy's fine. I I need to like have more motivation yeah. to sit down and watch it. If a friend was like, "Yeah, we're watching this movie now," I might take it. But um, like,
1: <laughs> yeah, love <laughs> exposure, it. love exposure is interesting because its fans are simply built differently. Yeah, right. Like, there's these people that really like love exposure, and I don't get it. But it is, it is an insane film. Like, it is just like so much stuff. It's not like the whole like it's super perverted and stuff right um, yep. it is about upskirt photography in a major part but also like you know religious cults and everything and it's it's just kind of fun and then we have suicide club which is known in the west as like kind of fucked up even though it really isn't that fucked up mm-hmm. right like we we've got some like gory stuff in there and uh, and things but it's just fairly Rep- representative year 2k horror. Yeah, for sure. And compared to those, Prisoners of the Ghostland is really tame.
0: Oh yeah, for sure.
1: And then again, the Nick Cage, uh, we recently together, we watched Con Air. Yes. That, Nick Cage is more insane in that than he is in Prisoners of yeah, the Ghostland. Yeah,
0: that's Land. exactly what I mean. Like, I think there's this weird like the recent resurgence of, like, Nick Cage fanaticism, mm. which is great. People should watch Nick Cage. He's great. Kind of seems to forget the bizarre movies he's been in for, like, the majority of his career. Like, people forget Face Off. People forget <laughs> Con Air, where he is just, like, hamming it up to, like, 100%. Yeah. Like, and then, like, people see him here. And, like, yeah, I guess the joke is, like, oh, yeah, he'll just take say yes to anything and, like... Love to him for that. That's great. But, like, people just take that and he always gets put in kind of trashy movies and it's like, oh, Cage is just, like, always hamming it up. It's just, like, yeah, he's just making the most of what he's given. <laughs> like, hmm. it it takes, like, like, the synthesis of a fucking nutcase director with Nick Cage to really pull out the, like, true Nick Cage experience.
1: Yeah. So it is interesting that both Sono and Cage were also like, if I understood correctly, it wasn't that Sono made a film and was like, I want Nick Cage on, in, on there.
0: It was mm-hmm. just
1: like casting kind of got to Nick Cage. But both Nick Cage and Sono had watched films of each other prior. Yeah. Uh, fun trivia, Nicholas Cage's favorite Sono film is Anti-Porno. And Sion Sono's favorite Nick Cage film is Leaving Las Vegas. Oh, okay. Yeah, that... Uh huh. I've seen either of, of those, so I can't comment on, on them. But I'm pretty sure
0: Leaving Las Vegas is the one where, like, I think Nick Cage comes himself to death. Mm. I think that's what happens in that movie. <laughs> so, like, that doesn't surprise me that that's like a Sono favorite.
1: Yeah, that, that does sound. And then
0: Nick Cage liking anti-porno. Yeah, I guess they were like they were on the same wavelength <laughs> of like what they liked from each other.
1: huh?
0: Yeah. CM Sono movies kind of hit on two notes. Like, there's. As you said, there is like the suicide club. There is like Noriko's dinner table. There is, um, a couple others that I name is I'm blanking on, but like that are very kind of like nihilistic, almost very like grounded, very like grimy. And then there's a like, and this is where like him and like Miki kind of intertwine of like high concept, really like big imagery going whole hog on like just nonsense, like mm. embellishments, lots of theatrics. And I think um, if I watch more sono I've probably got to sit down and watch like his more gr- like grimy stuff because that's mm. like where my interests lie, especially with like Japanese film. I find the theatrics that he sort of applies in his um, more outlandish stuff just kind of tiresome. It never really mm. clicks for me. The, the one other solo thing I've like properly sat down and watched is um, Tokyo Vampire Hotel, which is like a limited series he did 2017 or something, um, which also like starts out huge, expressive. It's really theatrical, lots of bold colors, kind of starts off interesting and kind of devolves into something a lot less interesting. I think that's also got like a giant pussy dimension. I can't remember. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I read like just the first line of a letterbox review for the theatrical version, and it was like most of this film takes place in a, vam- a vampire's vagina.
0: Yes, yep, that's a very bizarre movie. <laughs> Off show, but also yeah, it just doesn't click. There's just something that doesn't like work for me, and that's always been the kind of disappointment with Sony movies for me is that like there's never a point where they click, and I'm like, hell yeah, this whips. And I, yeah. that was definitely my experience with this movie where I kind of spent the full run time going, was waiting for the moment where it like settled in mm. and it never came. And I was kind of bummed. Yeah. But I guess we should maybe talk more about what you think about this movie is like, like stands out for you. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think, I think it's simplicity, as we mentioned before, that is just like embellished with excess is genuinely just interesting to think about. I totally agree that the film kind of misses that, like, you know, either big climax that just really makes you hoot and holler or <laughs> anything to really drive home in themes. I think part of that is because, like, the acting, by many of the actors isn't that standout. Like, a lot of the moments just kind of fall flat. Uh-huh. Right. I, I think, like, I just can't get off the feeling that the the smaller girl, the other granddaughter... Of the governor, that, oh yes, yeah, right. She she probably doesn't speak English, and I feel like nobody looked over her lines. Who does? Because she yeah. said things that just don't fit. Right? It feels like she wants to say the opposite. What would fit in the narrative at that? Point, yeah, which makes it all fall fall very flat. And we have like that. That
0: that was a a an annoyance throughout the movie of just like listening to these people who who, like, respect to them, I'm sure they are great actors, but they just don't speak English, and hearing yeah. them deliver English lines doesn't work. I would have been so much more into it, like, if they were speaking... Even if they were speaking Japanese and Cage was speaking English, or mm. they were, and, like, Bill Moseley was speaking English and they were speaking Japanese. Like, that's, like, a standard in filmmaking when you have, like, people from different nationalities. Like, I think I would have just vibed with it more if, like, the Japanese people spoke Japanese and were able to, like, do them the best with the material they were given in
1: Japanese. I, I just always have to think about Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, uh, uh-huh. which obviously has the same problem, right? And, like, uh, it has both English and Japanese actors. Um, and the protagonist, who is not... Uh, shit, what was his name? <sighs> who Who's the musician? The really... Oh, like, David Bowie yeah david bowie so he doesn't speak japanese but there was also the other the other actual protagonist because david bowie being basically jesus in that film was not a the protagonist there's another guy who hasn't acted much he's he was really good at that film but he hasn't done much and he doesn't speak japanese at all but he's the one character in that film who is supposed to speak japanese he's like basically the one uh-huh. who translates between every uh, between the two groups and he just did that like Without knowing what he was saying, he just learned how to pronounce his script without having an idea of what it was he was saying, right? Yeah, and that's for how good he did that. That was fascinating. Uh huh. Um, so I just ha- always had to f- what think about that during watching this film because I was missing that really good like intersection between the languages. So yeah, that, that film falls flat on many in many things, but I think ultimately. It has the same appeal as Catan, which we already talked about in yes uh, in the past, right? A film we both love a lot. It, but it's simpler, right? It isn't as excessive. It's easier to recommend because it
0: for sure, yeah. It has,
1: it has less themes that it goes into more, and yeah, I, do, I genuinely I don't understand why Prisoners of the Ghostland is so divisive. Yes, right. Yes, I understand if most people were like, yeah, it's kind of. Okay, ish at best, and then some yeah. people are like, Yeah, this is a fun movie, but you know, there's really a lot of people who hate this movie.
0: Yeah, that's definitely strange to me. It, it there was no point in it when I was like, Besides, like, my my qualms with it, on like, as we said, like, the language side of things was a little kind of disappointing, but like, there was no point in them, when I was like, Oh, this movie is terrible. Mm. It's just like, I think misses a lot of opportunities to be great uh, i
1: i think it just like comes together in like all the small parts make for something that just feels interesting no matter what you look at right i think this is it has like postmodern stuff it has like you know apocalyptic yes. stuff it has easily like the themes are they are subtext right for for some of it you just you aren't being told that actually this is about redemption, um. Even though you know it's it very very obviously is it's easy to like get into film. I think, yes. Um. You know, there's a hero's journey in there, uh. And you know, it's just interesting if you like like taking apart a part of film into like its smaller parts, right? Uh-huh. And, then, and then just thinking about these smaller parts and why are they in this film? What do they do in this film?
0: Yes, for sure. Going back to Cassone, like like with this movie, like Cassone is a long movie. It is, as you said, it's hard to recommend Cassone just because of how long it feels as well as like, I mean, it's not that long, but like it just feels long. Mm. It does a lot. It moves through things just constantly. And and like you're left with the feeling of like this movie could have been a far like whole lot tighter. Mm. It is it is in so many ways a behemoth. Um, this movie is definitely a lot tighter and shorter, but it misses like what Casan does has in length. It also has in just like impactful moments. The the emotion is there so much mm. in Casan. It has like a dozen climaxes, but like they are good climaxes. They are like on style, on on catharsis, they are there. This movie, uh Prisoners of the Ghost Land the lacks in that, even though it does have some, and I think some really good moments, it doesn't like punctuate them very well, I don't feel.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think I think one of the problems might be just that, you know. It's very much a film that takes a bit from everything, puts it into a box, and then, you know, magic trick, uh, say the magic word, and then opens the box, and there's, there's like, one thing. It's a bit muddy, right? Like, if you if you mix too many colors, what you get is Yes, pretty. yeah. Um, that's definitely happening a bit here, while, like, Kashan is still very distinctive, right? It's, like, it does everything with 100%,
0: <laughs> if <Yes>. not more.
1: Yes. <laughs> and prisoners is a bit more like you know it's trying to mingle everything together i think there's there was also some issues with the production because they it was actually supposed to be filmed in mexico
0: oh right yeah
1: then Sion Sona had a had a heart attack actually and couldn't travel anymore so uh-huh. after like some problem like some discussion and i think even nick cage was it who was just like yeah why not film in japan and Only then was it. Then they brought in. Okay, if we're filming in Japan, we can get in Tak Sakaguchi, for example. Um, (laughs) And then it was like, okay, we can add that like whole samurai angle to the film. Yeah. Right. So it was probably. It would be interesting to read like earlier iterations of the script and screenplay and stuff. I think. For Sure. Yeah. Just to see because like one
0: because like Bill Mosley was also brought in at the same time. It's like whole, like yeah, as you said, like the movie altered like it'd be interesting as you said to see what the movie would have been um but and that's now... perhaps why like Ta I love Tala we all do <laughs> he doesn't do a whole lot in the movie
1: his his arc is definitely undercooked it's yeah so sad, right I, I I really do love it like that he's this like on samurai who's running away from his problem being that, you know, he, he like works for the villain because, you know, the villain basically almost enslaved his sister. Right. So it's like, okay, she's, she's not going to get abused as much if, if like this really strong samurai works for him, which is a story we've, you know, I can't name anything, but that's just like very common. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, it just kind of doesn't, and then we get, we actually do get a fight between uh, Taksakaguchi and Nicolas Cage, uh, which I like, right? It's just like, yeah. okay, he's hes running away from his problems in the Unabound Samurai way, in that he like has to listen to his master, even if he doesn't want to, right? I, I, uh, for the whole movie, I expected Taksakaguchi to change sides when I first watched it.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, same.
1: But he doesn't, and that's like kinda interesting it It only comes up in like the last twenty minutes, maybe, but it's there, yeah, uh there's also just like a lot of visually very interesting things I think that aren't quite used as well, but like i I love the visual thing with the uh, like just the mannequins, the patch together mannequins in which like people yeah coastlands hide. that's like such a cool idea and then like the whole thing with the because uh the 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 village or wherever they are right that's like a atomic um a power plant a nuclear power plant that yeah burned down and th- it has this massive clock on there that uh the people are trying to stop from continuing because you know they're running away from their problems they think if they if if they let time go on, the world is going to end, right? Just like they do not face their problems. And there's this lovely detail that the clock stops at 8.14 and 50 seconds. Yeah. Which is intentionally a reference to Hiroshima Mm -hmm. because the bomb was dropped at 8.15, right? So it's this whole, like, and, like, I mean, even we know that Hiroshima was was horrible, of course, right? But it's not the end of the world. Ah, uh-huh. uh, life continues after Hiroshima. Yeah. Um, and I mean, obviously, the idea might be a bit different in Japan, but I do think by now, like you know, it has mostly recovered. Like the country definitely has recovered, like economically and like culturally, yeah. right? But yeah, just really like the traces that are there especially of this like running away and like looking for redemption that everyone ultimately has to face
0: mm-hmm. no for sure and the like mad max-esque set is very cool like that whole like like apocalyptic area is pretty cool
1: mm. there's also like red uh we haven't done a podcast on ryuhei kitamura yet uh-huh. But what I know about Kitamura is that he sees the original Mad Max as like one of the films that was basically perfect, right? That Japanese film should aspire to be like.
0: Uh huh. Yeah.
1: So it's interesting to have like this Mad Max esque film with Tak Sakaguchi, <laughs> and it's not by Kitamura. Totally. <laughs> and then we obviously have the, like the same ideas that Paul W. S. Anderson has with just like you know taking cool things and putting them in his movie yes totally so yeah it's like surprising that you don't like this film
0: <laughs> yeah no it is strange I maybe on rewatches it will click more or maybe like Sona will just like try this again like this, a similar mm. idea again and that will click more like I don't know it feels like a movie that needs another edit it needs another mm. like it needs another script run through. They need to rethink some of like the the casting, like like production choices, yeah. And they need to like you know like consider the beats more. And I think the movie would be like like you know like great. I think it would be on the same level as something like Kasha, and I think it would mm. be a very like standout movie like that. It's just like yep. like maybe it was like like I mean yeah. If if as you said like someone had a heart attack, like he had to change things. And that's unfortunate. And hey, I think if those changes that were made ultimately is why the movie kind of feels sort of rough. Like that is that is a shame. That was unavoidable. Like and and I hope any ideas he he wanted to cover he can like come back to <laughs> and mm-hmm. like maybe like in a, in when he's like in a condition that is healthier.
1: Yeah, I, I think the major difference then is really whether you see the value in, like, a half-baked film like that or not. And I know you are also often that, okay, this film has, like, wasted potential, but it's, like, worth watching for that, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, And then it's just, you know, your mileage may vary. Because for me, very much, it is, like, all the small parts, even if not perfect, they all add up to being interesting.
0: Yeah, no, totally.
1: Even if there's, like, some really dumb stuff. Like, at some point, there's just a Shakespeare poem in there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i i'm not into like literary anal- analysis right i don't know uh-huh. about shakespeare and i'm not gonna attempt to like analyze the meaning of like some random shakespeare poem that you see for, uh-huh. like, two <laughs> seconds in the film um but that's interesting to me just having that yeah very postmodern right just like jumbling everything together to like pop culture references uh-huh.
0: And like doing some more research, like the writers for this, this looks like the first thing they wrote. Like mm-hmm. I think it's their first feature. So like and I guess I don't know how much that was like maybe they came in and they helped with with free writes or whatever when, when Sona needed it. Mm. Um and it's just like, okay, yeah, you've got like uh a very like distinct autodirector who needs to now, now pivot his story because he has health problems and he's like okay uh we need people uh you two right please come write this movie with me <laughs> like or, or like the studio is like yeah go write the movie with this guy and i can imagine if you're writing your first movie like first movie that is like going to go to to theaters like writing it with sion Sono must be a very strange experience <laughs> like like he's obviously so postmodern and distinct in what he wants to do that, like, it's the same as like like other like kind of more auto directors, auto directors who have very strong visions. It must be very hard to like write movies with them.
1: Mm. Yeah, I I do think that what came through of Sona's, like general themes in this one as well really well. Uh, uh-huh. which, you know the the writers probably did a good job on that, is that Sono films are often about like people in changing environments, right? Yeah. It's like trying to adapt to a changing world. We have that in the implied very long time skip for Nicolas Cage's character as well, right? Like yes. yeah. it's it's very much implied that he was not in, in prison for like what at least 10, 15 years before um uh before he gets out. Yeah. Right. And he obviously didn't know about the ghostlands and stuff because that's something that happened afterwards. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's that's something that, you know, you can see in Suicide Club. That's like, you know, the whole deal of Suicide Club in Noriko's dinner table, love exposure, all that. And I think that, that got through in this film pretty well. Just yeah. This like fundamental idea.
0: I do also think it's funny, like, you said, like, he's a bit like W.S. Anderson, putting all the things he thinks is cool in, like, with Nick Cage just straight up in the Gantz costume.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Like, Gantz, I haven't read Gantz in so long that I can't really say what how significant uh, uh, it might be, like, an influence, but, like, that is just straight up the outfit from Gantz.
1: Yeah, I was, I, I haven't even read Gantz, right? I, I know just, like, osmosis.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, right, like, probably watching the anime OP like ten years ago. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, yeah, that's the gun's outfit. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's the one.
0: And I, I like the most vulgar imagery in this movie is when Nick Cage's balls explode <laughs> and he does the like the heart ripping out of someone's chest but with his own like mm-hmm. like yeah. it, like blown up bullsack. And it is it's so much <laughs> like like that is that is some imagery. I think that's like that scene, as I said, was is probably why people like who are maybe less like in tune with with like Cage and with um like postmodern Japanese cinema, that's like the scene that must stand out to them as like this is mm-hmm. the craziest Nick Cage movie.
1: Yeah. And shortly after Nick Cage screaming uh, Oh yeah <laughs> I, I stand here with one <laughs> Yes <laughs> that it it didn't even like come across as that weird, right? It was a very restricted scream. Oh yeah, for sure. He didn't yell from the depths of his soul, which is very unfortunate.
0: No. <laughs> yeah. Uh uh-huh. have you got anything else about this movie you wanna say?
1: I think just like small, like really fun details. They actually do speak French in that film as well, which I found interesting. Oh yeah. Right? Just like the the sheriffs in in Frontier Town, which is like the town that it's originally set in um in the sheriff's office there's a poster that ichikawa goemon is wanted with like the <laughs> classic image of of like goemon the like actual historic <laughs> figure no, of course not the lupin uh character but yeah that, that was just like funny and the production design is really good everything is very oh, yeah, neon sure. sci-fi and looks very cool and yeah, I think that's that's all the, th- the stuff.
0: Uh huh. Well, the one one question I got through for this movie when I so I post it on Twitter, I post the movies that I'm I'm talking about with people, and I ask people to send some questions. Uh, the one thing I got from this, and I know you watched the other two 2021 mm-hmm. cage movies um, of the three, which is Willy's Wonderland, Pig, and Prisoners of the Ghost Land. Where how would you rank those?
1: So I like this one the most. I like Prisoners of the Ghostland the most. Um, which does just fit with my love for Japanese cinema, right? Mm-hmm. Pig was interesting because it was so immensely different. Uh I expected John Wick but Nicolas Cage. Uh-huh. But it was like it was like uh really like a family drama about like appreciating what you get and like, you know was about loss and everything uh-huh it was very artsy and Willy's <laughs> wonderland was the b-movie nonsense that like, yeah people want to see when they want to see more nick cage films yeah but it also was just like a related cash in on the five nights at freddy's franchise totally uh so yeah that's also just kind of my ranking right i liked prisoners of the ghostland the most Pig was interesting though not what I was looking for in Willy's Wonderland it was fun but there wasn't really a reason for it to be there. Nicholas Cage doesn't say anything throughout that entire film
0: <laughs> that's it's... a it feels like that's a wasted opportunity but I think that's what they were going for right he was like
1: <laughs> you I know mean,
0: like
1: I feel like he looked at the script and was like you know I'm not gonna say anything like he was like <laughs> this Uh, we can do this but my character is like a silent protagonist right just like completely disregarding every wish and everyone's just standing there like what the fuck nicholas yeah (laughs) Uh, i don't know if that's true but that's kind of how it felt like
0: i mean that makes sense like i mean whenever i've seen interviews with nick cage like where he's like earnestly talking about film he's a really like intelligent guy he's really in tune with filmmaking and acting like for all of the bizarre like like acting choices he makes and the amount he hands it up it's all deliberate he knows what he's Mm. doing and like he must be like a legitimately really interesting person to work with in that regard like i can imagine having like as a filmmaker talking to him and and working through whatever ideas you have for a character with him Mm. must be really interesting
1: yeah i feel he's like he's like tarantino but as an actor right like, for sure for sure knows yeah. so many films and every like watches a film to see what he can take out of it right uh-huh. i, I I've, I've also read this in like interviews with nick cage where he is actually like yeah i, I saw that in a film once and i was like you know m- making a mental note that i could use this in a character i would play at some point yes right? yeah and uh, yeah it's it's fascinating right it's just like interesting to have people that know so much about film and are so invested in film
0: yeah especially when they're in movies like con air and <laughs> <laughs> willie's wonderland it's great
1: i think what we really need is a nick cage muppets film where ev- everyone is muppets and then <laughs> there's nick cage
0: i mean like the five, the five nights at freddy's movie that could have been that yeah, it, could, it have, could have it could have been like are there like i've not actually seen anything from that movie are there like the animatronics and stuff
1: Yes. There's yeah. there's like seven or eight animatronics that he all kills.
0: Alright, yeah. Like, that movie seemed like the kind of, I mean, actually, like the Nick Cage action version of um the Banana Splits movie, which is like a grindhouse, like, animatronic kid show gone, gone evil.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, Willy's Wonderland, the, like, no, not quite twist, right, but the reveal is that the animatronics are actually like uh, the the people who worked at the thing that was shut, da- shut down like ages ago were all secretly serial killers and when they were caught and the police like you know stormed the thing they performed a satanic ritual to transfer their souls into the animatronics.
0: Oh so it's like just Chucky. It's just Chucky. Yeah, yeah
1: exactly. <laughs> it's It's just Chucky um now that you mentioned it yes that is exactly what chucky does right and then (laughs) and then like the people in the village who are also referred to as like several times inbred i think oh god (laughs) they are just like okay yeah if you know if we give you a sacrifice every now and then then you won't kill people like our families right so it's just like this very satanic chord, but also animatronics. Uh huh. <laughs> it's it's well, and then there's obviously like some teenies that like you know get killed because it's also a teen teen slasher at some point. Yeah,
0: it's a horror movie. You gotta have that. Oops. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> some kids that get killed while they have sex. You know uh-huh. the usual fanfare. The usual. Uh, it's it's an insane film. If if you like. If from the twenty one films you want Nick Cage, <laughs> on like his Nick Cage ness, uh, I I posted a one clip on Twitter. If, uh, you've probably seen it, right? Where he plays the like pinball machine. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it is kind of dumb, it is <laughs> Excellent.
0: Ah, uh, but yeah, um, Asuka, Where can people find you? On the internet
1: Yes, I am on Twitter At Scarlet Kaiju And I do also have my own podcast Recently actually though Ooh. we do like Just very random things Sometimes we talk about movies Hopefully sometimes more um, But you can probably also just find that on my Twitter So yeah
0: Nice but... uh, Yes uh, You can follow me on Twitter At, at underscore marriage uh, you can keep up with the show at uh, at Excess Cinema Pod, and if you would like to support the show, we have a coffee link, which is also Excess uh, Cinema Pod. Yeah, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Asuka, for talking about Nick Cage with me.
1: I'll gladly be back in the future.
0: <laughs> You're never leaving. Hmm. <laughs> but yeah, bye bye everyone. Bye
1: bye.